Welcome to the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion, a bi-weekly podcast where two nerds and a newbie watch Avatar The Last Airbender and provide all their thoughts, feelings, and opinions. I'm Kelly. I'm Mike. And I'm JJ. To recap, previously on Avatar The Last Airbender, the gang finally made it to Ba Sing Se. Hooray! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> So today we're doing three episodes. We are doing City of Walls and Secrets, Tales of Ba Sing Se, and Appa's Lost Days. So I will get started with a recap for Cities of Walls and Secrets. Team Avatar reluctantly cool their heels in the segregated city of Ba Sing Se as their ever-present handler, Ju-Di, obstructs them at every turn. They crash a party in an attempt to get an urgent message to the Earth King, only to be caught and given a chilling peek behind the curtain of bureaucracy instead. Meanwhile, Zuko and Iroh begin to build a life for themselves in Ba Sing Se, and Jet becomes obsessed in his attempts to expose them. Uh, Jet's the worst. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like my... He is the worst. It's the worst. He is the worst. Ugh. But this episode was really hard for me because they literally gaslight him. Like, actually, literally, at the end of the episode. <laughs> and then through the entire thing. So gaslighting, for anybody who might not know that term... Uh, I don't know that term. Is, you don't know that term? I don't think so. so. it. It stems from an old movie of the same name um, and has actually become like an accepted term when talking about psychology and mental health and manipulation and things. But it's essentially when there is a person who believes something to be true and then or knows something to be true and then everyone around them, uh, everyone around them tries to make them believe otherwise. Well, basically gaslighting is so the plot of the movie was actually that there's a husband and wife and for some reason the husband wanted to lock the wife away in a insane asylum, I think. Mm-hmm. Cuz he wanted her fortune or something like that. Anyway, mm-hmm. nefarious happenings. Um so what he does is that he messes with the lights in the house. Like he turns them on and off um and so she's Kind of like, what, what's wrong with the lights in our house? And everyone keeps telling her, oh, you're just crazy. And that's... What are you talking what are you about? Talking the lights about? are fine. It's fine. Uh, gotcha. um, so that's where it comes from. So often it's, you know, when someone's saying, oh, I, this, is, this is a thing, this is happening, and then everyone else around them invalidates whatever the person is saying um, for whatever reason, generally it's generally it's oh you're just crazy, you're delusional or whatever. That's kind of what gaslighting is. Okay. Um, and in the case of Jed, it is literal. <laughs> like, yeah, they've got those little lights that are spinning, spinning around, around him at the him. end, yeah. where they're saying they're everyone is safe and bossing say, and there is no you know whatever. Um, and so, as much as I dislike him as a character, and this this didn't do anything to make me enjoy his character more. He's still terrible. And even along the way, even though we know that he's right and Zuko and Iroh are Fire Nation, Jet's correct. But his obsession with, you know, exposing them and and just everything about his character up to date just makes me so unsympathetic. And of course, 
as an audience member, I'm siding with Zuko and Iroh, so I don't want Jet to succeed in exposing them. But when his friends, it's Smellerby and who's the other one? Longshot. Oh, yeah, Longshot. You know, they're kind of like, hey, Zuko, like, you need, or not Zuko, Jet, you need to, you know, chill. You're getting a little bit obsessive, and we're supposed to start over and start a new life here. And it's it, it doesn't make me like Jet anymore, but at the same time, it's such a horrible thing to to be invalidated in that way and and so i'm i'm like torn emotionally because i'm appalled at this experience that he's having and yet i don't like him <laughs> well i think it's smellerby who says who cares if they're fire nation just right. leave it what alone it and he can't leave it alone that's really the downfall mm-hmm. on his end and he goes about it in such a gross way like he steals yeah. Iroh's spark rocks and he's like how are you gonna light your fire now old man and he's like trying mm-hmm. to trap them into revealing that they're firebenders and so while he's not wrong or he's not incorrect in saying that they're firebenders the way he goes about everything is all wrong, and that's uh-huh. just like mm-hmm. uh-huh. so that's it why makes he's for a pretty the worst. cool fight scene, though. Right, it was a very cool and are we scene. to believe that there have been no other refugees from the Fire Nation who left? You know, of, of that entire kingdom, there's no one else who had a crisis of conscience and was like, "I cannot be a part." I'm sure of there this are left, Fire Nation you know? refugees so, and those who yeah. don't bend. I mean, I'm sure there are people in the Fire Nation who don't bend. So exactly, and they're just living their lives, just trying, you know, to do whatever. So, yeah, that was a really, a really frustrating subplot to watch because I did feel my emotions being pulled in these different directions wherein I don't want Jet to succeed. I don't like him as a character. And yet at that scene at the end, I was like, Oh God, so terrible. I know. Um, yeah. My note about that was, what did I say exactly? Uh, Jed is totally at a hinge, but what happens to him at the end of this episode? And then a whole bunch of like really big, like, sad face emoji. <laughs> yeah. This is, uh, this is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that means we pretty much went straight into Jed's subplot, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of missed the rest of the episode where we talk about everything. Well, hey, we don't always talk about show. it in order. Yeah. We don't always do it in order. We kind of group it by, you know, thematically or by character or whatever. Um, but yeah, so this is actually the episode that I had accidentally watched ahead last time, um, and couldn't talk about last week. So I'm excited that I get to talk about it now because there is a lot of stuff that happens in this one. Um, so Team Avatar, the gang, finally gets to Ba Sing Se and they're experience of the city is so different than what they had expected, except for Toph, who it's, has clearly either been to Ba Sing Se itself before, or has just a deeper understanding of the way that cities work in the Earth Kingdom. It seemed to me like she'd been there specifically before, which would make sense, because she was from a noble house within right. the Earth Kingdom. Um, and she warns them, you know, it's really not that great get used to being handled. Mm. Um, 
again. Yeah, because. I had that line, and then again, like the sad, the sad face, like. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Because what ends up happening is they get off the... There's, like, that monorail that is uh, powered by earthbenders behind it. Yeah, and they just push. it along the road, which was really cool. But they get off of that and into the city. And, of course, the whole reason that they've come here in the first place is to tell the Earth King about what they learned in the library, that on the eclipse uh, is the best time for them to try to defeat the Fire Nation. And so they step off the train and they're like, okay, where's the king? We've got to tell him this is our urgent mes- message. And they are assigned a hand, a handler, a hostess is kind of, you know, what she refers to herself as. But, you know, she's their babysitter. I called um, her uh, Stepford Judy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And her name, yeah, her name is Judy, and she's got this big smile, and she shadows them everywhere, and any time that they try to talk to someone to maybe get more information, or tell them about the war, or anything like that, she is just right behind them, like, with these big eyes, shaking her head, no, (laughs) you know, and she kind of, the people that they're talking to all suddenly don't have anything worthwhile to say, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's a lot of intimidation there and constant, you know, reminders. And they're also told that their request to see the Earth King is being processed. Six to eight <laughs> and, weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, which, of course, is not at all what they wanted to hear. And, you know, the whole bureaucracy of this city is really interesting and unlike other things that we've seen throughout this universe before you know we the city is really tightly controlled and segregated there's those rings so there's the big outer wall that surrounds the entire city and then and that's where all the i mean the outer ring is where all the craftsmen and artisans work i think that right the, middle well, the one lower is like, the lower ring because i think there's actually like the outer wall of the city there's the and big then wall that's like the whole and then wall. like farmland i'm assuming because there's like mm-hmm. a distance between the outer wall and then like another wall and it seems to be the kind of ring. crops and farms and once they get into the city proper there's like a lower ring a middle ring and an upper ring i think mm-hmm. they said the yeah. middle ring has the money class. changers in it like the bankers or whatever the hell they call them in this yeah yeah it seems pretty clearly like you know the blue collar workers the poor the middle ring is kind of middle class white collar and then the inner ring is the nobility with the palace in the very center with its own wall and its own guards and so that we haven't really seen a place that is so clearly classist yeah before um and you know they they get a tour with judy through each of the rings and they're shown their house and eventually they kind of realize that they're not they're not going to be able to do anything they can't talk to anyone get any useful information they can't sit around and wait for six to eight weeks for the earth king to you know process their request to even see him who knows how long it would take to actually get an audience once the request is processed so they decide to take matters into their own hands they learn about this party that is happening and they're gonna crash this party it's in honor of the earth king's bear yeah. <laughs> not his 
Not his platypus bear. <laughs> or his not, armadillo bear. <laughs> not his armadillo bear. Just his bear. Or his gopher bear or his skunk bear. I wrote them all down. Um, this place is weird. I know. I love that they just kind of, you know, put a little lampshade on the, the hybrid animal thing, which I thought was very uh, funny. We got a lot of new hybrid animals this week, too. We did. Um, the creepiest one, I think, in this episode was the freaking cat owl. I was like, ah. Oh, I did yeah. not like that thing either. That oh, was terrible. It was awful. Ugh. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, keep going. It's like, party for his, just his bear. Plain bear. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just his bear. And so, we had a really cute scene with Aang and Sokka, like with makeshift capes bowing to each other. <laughs> right. Addressing your momoness <laughs> of the Momo Dynasty, <laughs> it's which is cute. really great. Well, yeah, because Toph says it. you guys can't get in, you guys won't be able to pass. You don't know what mm-hmm. nobility is like. Of course, she does. Um, mm-hmm. Which Katara is like, but you, you're the most poor mannered, you know, of all of us. And Toph is like, no, 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 no. I learned manners and I deliberately eschew them. But you guys never learned them in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> and she's not wrong, right? Um, so she agrees to help. So she and Katara decide that they're the ones who are going to infiltrate as nobility because the boys are useless and they get all dressed up to go to the party and they're so pretty. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love what I love. So like previous, I guess like as the girls are getting ready and they're putting on their finery or whatever and, and Sokka and Aang, I guess they're in the main room and they're playing what I think is this kingdom's version of like rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. It's like earth, fire, something. Um, and whoever loses gets like their forehead flicked. Right. Instead I, of like playing slaps, like, yeah, you know, when it's you like they've got their forehead flicked. And I loved it because like, of course, Katara comes in and she looks very pretty. And Aang was, we all know as a big crush on Katara. Mm-hmm. And he just has this like kind of starry eyed look. And then Sokka just reaches over and Flicks him. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> how cute. Oh, that's super oh for cute. the record, Earth beats fire. I'm not sure what the other ones are, but that's how Aang won. I assume that it was just the elements, water and... Right, air. but I don't know, like, what... Oh, but, like, the order of yeah. who wins what. Yeah. If Earth... But wouldn't you think, then, that water would also beat fire? I mean, really, I would think that all of them would be fire. Like, I, I don't well, understand. Well, technically, the... air could probably fan fire, so then there's yeah. that. And maybe air can defeat Earth because, like, the wind will weather it away. I don't know. I'm thinking too hard about this game. But like... <laughs> this fake thing <laughs> this that we're not game. actually going to play. Yeah. <laughs> That's not in a DVD extra somewhere? Somebody hasn't, no. like, put together the rules? No. Someone should, though. That's true. Someone should. Yeah, they come out, and they're all pretty and beautiful. Katara, of course. And also Toph. We we saw Toph a little bit in, in her introductory episode, dressed as a noble. Um, so we've seen that a little bit from her, but this was definitely much more f- formal wear, um, you know, as opposed to just every day. So they look beautiful and they come out and they get in line and Toph tries to use her special 
identity papers yeah, that she used to get them visas. Got. Yep. It worked before to get them visas, but it does not work now. They get tossed out of line. And they come upon an unsuspecting gentleman, and they ask him to get them in. They tell him a sad story about how Toph lost their tickets because she's blind, and their families are all inside, and could he please, you know, let them in, which he does. But then once he gets in, he doesn't leave them alone. Yeah, they can't shake him at all. Yeah. Like, no, no, we have to find your parents. I can't leave you alone, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But then the boys also get in as well. (laughs) They go in as servants. (laughs) They go in as busboys, which is so funny Mm -hmm. because Toph said earlier, like, maybe you guys can pass as busboys, and that's exactly what they do. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how much they pass, but yeah, they go in as busboys. And Aang puts on a show. Like, once he gets kind of outed, he spills a drink on that lady and tries to dry her off, and she just looks like a horror show afterwards, but she's happy because the Avatar is there, Mm -hmm. and this is all high society, and who you know matters. Like, it's one of those parties. And then Mm -hmm. Aang gets up on the table and does, like, a cool sphere water-bending thing with different colored water, or whatever it was, liquid. And the bear really liked it. (laughs) This bear. <laughs> this bear. Apparently it has a name. Bosco. Uh, yeah, Bosco. Uh, <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. Um, but yes, they... I think, because at this time, the king had been brought in, right? The p- yeah, king but we had didn't been brought see him. In. We didn't see him, but I think his palanquin was brought in by the... I guess his guards or the Daily. I think it was Daily. Um And so they're like... Aang, distract everybody while we see if we can't go up and talk to the Earth King. But, of course, that ploy does not work because they are caught by the Dai Li. I guess we skipped over that, didn't we? What? Yeah. Skipped the over Dai what? Li. We didn't oh, mention right. the Dai Li, really, and what they are and what they do. Right. Um, oh, real quick. Uh, I don't know, Kelly, if you noticed but or anybody listening did. But um, on the icon, what are we calling it? Banner? The thing that Logan? JJ drew? The logo. logo, right. Um, I asked her, like, on day one if she would make me, uh, like, a daily fist, and that's why my hand is all stony in that picture, because she did it. Because I think that's cool. cool. They They are super cool. They, like, handcuff you with rocks. It makes no sense, but it's awesome. It's also crazy, because they can, like, shoot it at people, and they're, like, just, like, an extra pair of flying hands. Yeah. They can, like, just grab people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. One, one of the ones that got, was it Katara, like, went over her mouth first yeah. and then, like, grabbed her, Just, like, like around the waist. them away. Yeah. Super creepy. Um, but they are the, I guess the, I think they gave them, like, a euphemistic name. Like, they're, like, the cultural, they, like, work for the Ministry of Cultural Affairs. Oh, right, yeah. Or something mm. or other. Um, which I thought was kind of interesting. So, of course, this whole episode is kind of, Vaguely 1984-ish, right? You've got, you know, there was, you know, we've always been at war with East Asia kind of a thing. Um, (laughs) So, and of course, like, the palace is kind of based on the Forbidden Palace in Beijing and and all that sort of stuff. But I think it's kind of interesting because, to digress a tiny bit, when you think about the Cultural Revolution that happened in China, sort of a similar thing happened where the government basically just 
was like, you can't, you know, they defaced everything, they changed everything, they tried to get rid of all, you know, marks or things of a previous, you know, non-communist kind of regime. So, and I think, you know, and it's called the Cultural Revolution, so they gave the name of the secret police, like, I think they're like, they agents of cultural affairs or something. I know that the nice gentleman that Katara and Toph got to bring them into into the party is also works for the cultural affairs department. He's like the minister of cultural affairs or like the grand secretariat or something right. like that. I know that um, I looked up, what was it, Dai Li and uh, it has, I forget what the literal translation is, like hat guy or something, but um, I guess it's also named after an actual person who at the beginning of the I really should have written this down, but at the beginning of the 19th century, I think, he was the, he was basically the long feng of his, of actual China. Um, he ran the secret police, he was like a thug and, you know, ran with an iron fist, or ruled with an iron fist, rather. So yeah, I think that these are based heavily in real people. So, so they get caught by the Dai Li, and... Uh-huh. Brought to the library, and where Longfang tells them, "This is the safest place in in the entire world, and we don't want you to disturb the peace." Basically, by telling anyone the truth, everyone uh-huh. has like collectively agreed that there is no war, and that's why this is the safest place. It's so dark. Yeah, uh-huh. it's really screwed up. It's so messed up. Especially when you factor in that hypnotism thing at the end of, like, if you don't comply, we will make Brainwash you comply. Yeah. And the ending mm-hmm. of this episode is so creepy. Because he's like, oh, okay, I'll have... Judy. With the new Judy. He's like, oh, yeah. well, now that we have reached an understanding about this, I'll, you know, we'll have Judy escort you back to your place. And this woman comes up and they're like, you're not Judy. But that's, she's like, I'm Judy. And mm-hmm. she's got that, like wide creepy smile but it's a totally different woman so just oh this this episode's really good (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah I think that's mostly the story that we got through pretty quickly so thoughts all on this episode uh, this particular storyline that we're talking about Um. I I mean I really liked it I was really intrigued. It's not where I expected the story to go. You know, I really thought they were going to show up and tell the Earth King and everything was going to kind of progress from there. I also find this kind of story, just in a broad sense, really sinister and really creepy. And for those reasons, it's also really interesting. You know, this kind of collective willfulness to ignore or obscure the real state of things. Double think, for the, as George Orwell right. would call it, yeah. Yeah, like for the collective good, quote-unquote, you know, the greater good or whatever. It's right. just, blah. It's very icky. At the beginning of the episode, it, uh, when they were on the train, that was that reveal shot where we, the first time we saw Ba Sing Se, and it was, like, really beautiful and majestic, and the music swelled, and it was... Everybody was looking in awe, except obviously Toph, who wouldn't probably have been looking even if she could see, because she doesn't give a shit, but um, (laughs) I immediately, and I feel like I talk about this a lot, but I immediately was reminded of the beginning of Bioshock Infinite. It has the same exact thing of, like, 
you arrive in this gorgeous floating city in the air, and then slowly you come to find out that it's a totalitarian government run by, like, racists and insane people, and the the barbershop quartet on the corner who's singing, you know, God only knows what I'd be without you, really doesn't change that fact, you know what I mean? And this, I mean, this entire city is full of that stuff. I mean, the whole, I mean, it's, it's the next episode, but, um, the, why am I blanking on this? The, I mean, even the zoo animals, I mean, I guess really count as an example of that, of like, it's just this dilapidated thing that they have just to say they have a zoo, but no one gives a shit. Like, the Dai Li aren't ever going to set aside funds or whatever. Aang has to take it into his own hands. And, well, the fact, the first sign that we have that this place is not what we expect it to be, because you initially think, because they've been working toward it, it's its walls have never been, have never fallen to the Fire Nation. You think, okay, this is a great place. But the first thing you see is that it's been so divided by class. So you've got everybody, you know, the poor people and the refugees in the lower ring. Um, which I also noticed, just as a design detail, that most of the houses in the Lord Ring are made of wood and not rock. But when you go mm-hmm. up the higher levels, they're made of earth. So clearly it's like a, a sign of status. So it The just lower kinda... level also has a few... I mean, I guess it's just stuck against the wall, but they have, like, parasite homes almost, the ones that are, like... They're just attached to the wall, like, partway up the wall. Um, yeah. I think the last time we saw one was in the drill episode. Like, you saw it, like, mm. bust through the wall and destroy one or two of them. Yeah, I, I thought it was really well done, just, like, slowly over the course of this episode. You realize this place is not great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of creepy and just, yeah. So, I don't know. I don't have uh, much else I to did say. Wanna talk, I did want to talk briefly about Zuko and Iroh, because we talked about them in terms of Jet. We talked about them in terms of Jet, but, um, you know, and that is kind of their main plot. But we see them here in this episode beginning to build a life for themselves, which Zuko is really not very interested in doing. And Iroh, you know, is is much more uh, gung-ho about. Iroh gets some jobs in a tea shop, which is like the most perfect job for Iroh. Um, and... They they are working there, and apparently the tea isn't very good because Iroh says it's just hot leaf juice. Mm-hmm. Uncle, that's all. That's all what tea is. But I love it. Like, how could a member of my own family say something so horrible? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so great. Iroh is serious about his tea, and I love him for it. So he yeah, also so starts the at- episode by like. Carrying flowers just in case Zuko brings a girl home, you know? Just in case. So cute. I can't handle it. I just want Um, a place to look nice in case someone mm. brings home a lady friend, which will have some ramifications in the next episode. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, I just love it. And he actually improves the shop, you know? He you know, begins brewing better tea, and he has really lovely customer service, and I think it's really, we see that Iroh really doesn't care about status or about what it is that he's doing. You know, he wants to be with Zuko, who is his nephew, whom he loves, and he wants to be, you know, make sure he always has access to great tea, but he can truly live a harmonious life under any circumstances. It doesn't, you know, he's not 
upset that he was once this great, powerful general and that he's fallen from grace. That isn't doesn't matter to him. He doesn't need that status in order to be happy. And we see Zuko kind of struggling to figure out who he is now with, you know, stripped even further from his family, no longer just in exile, but now, you know, really, truly wanted um, and, and being an outlaw. And we see Zuko not know what his place is and not care about building a life, but, but we see that contrasted with Iroh and how willing he is to put down roots no matter where they are. And I just, I just loved that. Yeah, Iroh has that line at the beginning. Zuko says, I don't want to build a life here. And Mm -hmm. Iroh responds with, life happens wherever you are, whether you make it or not. Mm -hmm. Which is like a really well-adjusted point of view, considering what they've been through. (laughs) Iroh, I just, I want him to be my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine he's being great therapist you just like come in i made you a nice pot of tea we mm-hmm. sit and just like talk through your problems like mm-hmm. he'd be so good at it <laughs> he'd be the best he would be the best so yeah that i just i didn't want to let the episode go without mentioning that because of course zuko is my favorite so uh, but yeah i really liked this episode i thought it was really Great. I think it was a great turning point for where we're at and the new conflicts that arise because, you know, if they had just been able to show up and tell the Earth King what they needed, then I guess we would have gone into like some kind of extended training sequence where everyone would be like getting ready for war, but there's still a whole additional season to go so it's a little too soon for that so I liked this as a means of introducing a new type of unexpected conflict and again I think the show is really good at showing the different types of evil right you know the um it's not necessarily that the earth kingdom is evil but they're not good either (laughs) you know so you've got the fire nation and the conquering nation or the conquering enemy then you've got this city that just can is controlling and that's what's so creepy and awful about it um that they control there's no free speech in this in this city there's no it's it's just it's a totalitarian government and and it you don't we haven't met the king yet so we don't know what the king is like and does the king know he's a, and Toph says at the very end well he's your puppet and that in itself is also really just really kind of disturbing because it has such ramifications. If this king, who's the king of the entire Earth Kingdom, is a puppet, that like really, really has some kind of serious ramifications for It means for the they're world. kind of living in like North Korea to some extent. Like because that leader, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know, you know, he's not a military leader or even a politician, but he's surrounded by... And I would believe he would throw a party for a pet bear if he had oh, one. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you guys have any, like, favorite lines or moments? Oh, I had a... It was, it was like a really quick throwaway moment at the beginning of the episode. They're on the train and somebody has a throwaway line about like weird stuff just happens to us. And then this like galumphing idiot just sits Mm -hmm. down between them. 
um, and I called him Old Carrot Mouth the Slower King because he just like <laughs> sits down and looks awful and like has a giant carrot sticking out of his mouth for no reason. He's not even chewing it. It's just there. It's just like sucking on it. Um, yeah. Brian Konitzko has said this is actually a veiled reference Easter egg to Invader Zim. No way. It is. So if you've seen the show, you'll get it. Um, because he I've used seen to work the show. on. He. What a, oh, um, oh, is I there a guy remember. with a carrot on that show? It's been a while. It's since a corn. I've seen it's it. a corn on the cob. The guy is sucking on. Um, oh. But yeah, Brian Knitzko right. used to work on Invader Zim. So for that was like a little Easter egg for him. Um, That's put cool. In there. Oh no, I loved it because. So- because, you know, the beginning is Katara's like, I can't believe we made it to Bossing Say One Piece. And Sok is like, don't jinx it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and old Caramouth comes along. And then Toph is like, because he, he's like coming up with these like outlandish scenarios of what might happen to them still. Because weird stuff happens to them all the time. And Toph's like, you've been hitting the cactus shoes again. All right. <laughs> I like the idea I that, like, it. maybe you could get your hands on cactus juice in this world. <laughs> I know, right? It's like a contraband substance on the bat- yeah. black market. Um, I don't really have other notes. I'd mentioned, like, the, the architecture being sort of based on the Forbidden City in Beijing, which I have been to. Um, Clothing-wise, interestingly, Bossing Say is a little bit like the Manchurians. Um, with kind of the higher color and the robes as opposed to kind of the what we've seen, like the robes that fold over and the kind of shaved head and the queue that starts in the back. Um, oh, that's right, right. very Qing Dynasty. Um, and uh, But yeah, I don't really have a ton of other notes. It's just really good. <laughs> it's just a really good episode. <laughs> Agreed. Uh-huh. Pretty excellent. It is a really good episode. Mike, did you have any voice stuff? Yeah, there's a bunch of them here. Uh, this episode, uh, Pow, the tea shop owner, is played by a guy named George Chung. And he plays a lot of politi- or not uh, politicians, ambassadors. He was the Chinese ambassador on the West Wing, the North Korean ambassador on Commander-in-Chief. For some reason, he was Hattori Hanzo in Days of Our Lives. What? Like, the, I I just saw the list. I I tried to find an example of it, but there was I didn't. <laughs> I was just like Hattori, huh? What? What? What could he possibly that character possibly be doing on a in daytime days of our in lives? Yeah. yeah, that's so weird. Yeah, um, Pang, the neighbor who was nervous that we I think we brushed over this, but uh, Toph yeah. could like feel him shaking across the street. Um, uh-huh. That's uh, Greg Berg, who's. <laughs> My two favorite, um, what do you call it, uh, roles of his are, one, he played both Fozzie and Scooter on Muppet Babies, <laughs> and in a 1977 episode of Chips, he played a messenger Chips. in a gorilla suit. Chips, oh my god. <laughs> um, and then, the last two are, Judy is played by Lauren Tom who is Amy Wong of the Mars Wongs from uh, Futurama. Futurama, yeah. Kelly, you just mm-hmm. gasped. What? Did we mention that she's gone at the end of the episode? Yeah, we mentioned she was oh, replaced by a new, new Judy. Oh, okay. Okay. I couldn't, all of a sudden I was like, wait, did we cover that? 
She's Sorry, also, we did, <clears throat> apparently. <laughs> she's also number three in Codename Kids Next Door and Connie from King of the Hill. And last is Long Fang, played by the amazing Clancy Brown. Yeah. Um, who I first found out about him uh, as Byron Hadley in The Shawshank Redemption. He was mm. the prison guard who was especially mean and wound up crying at the end. He's also, I mean, he's got a huge, huge IMDb thing because he does a lot of voice work, but um, he's also Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob. Is he uh, really? <laughs> yeah, he sure is. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was just in season two of Daredevil as Colonel Ray Schoonover. He played both Bigfoot and Satan in Axe Cop, which is awesome, by the way. If you guys haven't seen it, you should check that out. Um, what else is worth mentioning here? He was Kenny Loggins' bodyguard, Ricky, in an episode of Archer. He was He's, like, known as the cartoon voice of Lex Luthor in all of the Superman things. And... He played Rawhide in the 1984 cult classic Buckaroo Banzai across the Eighth Dimension. Wow. Which Kev- Kevin Smith is remaking into, I think, a series. Just got announced. But yeah, mm. that's everybody in that episode. Mm, cool. Nice. Any last thoughts on this one, Kelly, before we move on? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Let us move All on. Right. So, this next episode is Tales of Ba Sing Se. And before we get into it, I just want to say a little bit about... Yeah, yeah. we should, we should so, address this whole thing. <laughs> when we were talking about what episodes were up next, both JJ and Mike were like, oh man, there's one of the next episodes is really sad. Oh my God, it's so sad. And I am, as I'm sure our listeners know by now, a crier. I cry at everything. I'm very emotional. And so I was like, oh my God, if this episode is super sad by anyone's standards, I'm just going to lose it. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so then I watched all three of these episodes, Cities of Walls and Secrets, T- Tales of Bossing Say, and then Appa's Last Days. And then I started texting Mike, and I was like, so which one's the sad one? <laughs> because yeah. so, while, uh, while there is a, a segment in this upcoming episode that ends very, very sadly, I had these expectations of like the most tragic sad episode (laughs) that could ever be I was like is Zuko gonna die like what is gonna happen so I when we got to the end of that one little vignette which we'll talk about I was like well this is sad but it can't be the super sad thing like what so I kind of made myself a little bit nuts trying to like figure out what the sad part was and I was like did I miss it I watched all these episodes <laughs> way more times than I normally do because I was like did I fall asleep but not know that I fell asleep we should did post like something? text messages because both JJ and we I will. and We're you like, and I like what is wrong with Kelly what, that like how did she miss this how did so, she okay, miss this is like the saddest off, moment in the show um I actually forgot that 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 the really sad moment happens um, in that episode. I was, last time we got together, I, I was uh, thinking that the Appa's Lost Days episode was the one that was going to really make Kelly cry. And then mm. when um, Iroh started singing Leaves from the Vine, I didn't, yeah. I didn't remember, but I had like a Pavlovian response of like, oh, I should be <laughs> sad right now. What's happening? But this is like, 
This is actually kind of important. Uh, I mean, like, this is definitely part of the experience of watching this show. Um, we've been dancing around it for, like, whatever, ten minutes now, but uh, the actor who plays Iroh uh, passed away suddenly. His name is Mako, and they dedicated the episode to him at the end. And you get to hear his replacement um, in, like, one scene. And he like does a fine job. one line, and it's uncredited, yeah. Yeah, he does a fine job, and I'll, I'll talk about him in another episode that we record. In future episodes, yeah. yeah. But, um, because they had to replace Iroh, you know, the voice of Iroh, because he had right. died. Um, and it is mm-hmm. really sad. I mean, this is actual an actual person. Like, we're not, like, mourning the loss of, like, an imaginary character. This is, like, a guy whose voice I really came to right. love. And, like, I don't mm-hmm. know if it's just me, but when I was a kid... Um, and I got into anything where voice actors were involved, uh, like, you know, watching or listening or playing a video game. Um, I get really upset when they changed voice actors. Um, mm-hmm. there was a game called, you don't know Jack. It was a trivia game and it was a lot of fun. I played yep. that game. Yep. There was like six of them, I think. But, yep, um, there were tons. <laughs> the first one, I don't know if it was his actual name, but the announcer guy's name was Cookie. And they never got mm-hmm. Cookie back for any of the other ones, and I hated them so much. <laughs> I was like, just get him back. I just want to listen to that guy talk. And it's, to a much lesser extent, the same thing for me of, like, <laughs> they, they, they gotta get, they can't get that guy. He's not here. Why are they doing this? <laughs> Best way. So, yeah. So we'll talk about it. We'll talk about my reaction and all that more <laughs> when we get to that particular vignette. But I just wanted to bring that up because I, I felt really heartless. And I was like, what is <laughs> going like, But I'll I I'll said get you were a bad when, person. <laughs> when we get there. You did. Well, well, all right. So whatever. We'll get there. All so, right. Let's start off with episode, Katara and Toph right at the beginning. Yeah. Well, let me do the recap. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, we skated right past it's all the okay. protocol. It's it's a one it's a one sentence recap. It's fine. Yeah, because they're all short. There's four, five. In a, how many? How in many a se- are in the year? In a series of unconnected vignettes, we watch all of our beloved characters pass some time in Bossing Say. Thank there God. Go. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So the other thing too, before we get into the specific storylines, is I also feel like. Unrelated to my hunt for the sadness, um, I I feel like I might be an outlier in that this episode as a whole was really frustrating for me. And I have a feeling that this is one of those, like, fan favorite episodes that people love. And it's not that it's bad. It's excellent. And each individual story contained within it is excellent. I really loved it as little bits of storytelling and little insights into these characters that I'm so fond of. But as a continuation of a larger story, I mean, it's a filler episode, basically. And the next episode, Appa's Lost Days, which we'll get to later, is also kind of a filler episode. Not really, but sort of, kind of. Appa's Lost Days and is kind of the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead episode for Appa. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just felt like we had just spent this really intense episode, you know, cities, City of Walls and Secrets, and uh, I, I was really into the main story, and then we get this little vignette that is lovely. I mean, I, I love every single one of them, and when we go through them, I, I'm excited to talk about um, how great they were, but 
I also felt like, okay, I wish this was like a DVD extra or like some kind this of a This is coming like from the woman bonus. who loves Harry Potter book six. The heart wants what it wants. just going to let that hang wants. out there in the air for a minute. <laughs> no, no. You feel this. Okay? You feel this. <laughs> oh, my God. And David's family, whenever anybody does something horrible, like what just happened to me right now, everybody in the entire family turns to them and starts chanting, shame, shame, <laughs> shame, <laughs> shame. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just waiting for everyone to come in yeah, now and shame, shame me. Shame. Shame. Yeah. And hit a bell yeah. and follow you through the town square it's while people true. throw shit at it's you. Tr- it's like, it's the whole family just turns and starts chanting shame, I just think shame, of the shame. lady in The Princess Bride who's like, boo! You oh, had true love and yeah. you let it go. Boo! <laughs> okay. So it's just an observation. I, As we'll see when we start to talk about them all, I loved them all dearly. I just felt like it was kind of a waste of a time. Anyway. <laughs> As was books. So now that we've Harry prefaced Potter. the hell out of this thing, <laughs> let's actually talk. So we start with Toph and Katara. And this is a great one. I really liked this. We open the episode and everyone is, you know, getting ready for the day. Aang shaves his head. Yeah. Which is super adorable. I just assumed that he was a bald kid. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that he didn't grow hair. I don't know. All I, the, I just all the I airbenders do it. It's like part yeah. of their thing. Yeah, they all. Well, it makes sense yeah. now, but I just thought maybe I don't know. It was like something in the gene pool. Airbenders <laughs> 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 are just all bald, so that was really super super adorable. And also, apparently, he's been shaving all this time while on the run. I know. I was thinking that too. I was like, time. so where did so, he find his razors? Like, what? Yeah. Did he that is dedication. Yeah. Um, you know, and Saga shaving his little gross mustache. His weedy 15-year-old boy oh mustache. I, it's like one of my major pet peeves when guys who can't grow facial hair try to grow facial hair. And he is just a classic case of that. And, like, also shaves it with his, like, machete. Yeah, but yeah. He, that guy's not going to grow up and grow a beard. Let's be real. True. Very true. Oh, yeah, it's so realistic great. too, and I'm because I'm thinking mm-hmm. my brother, so my little brother <laughs> <laughs> um, cannot grow facial hair to save his life. It's just not in his gene pool. Um, mm. And when he goes a couple days without shaving, it looks like Saka's mustache, that, like kind of one, two, three, mm-hmm. like 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 little, little wispy, kind of yeah, like five lines, and like please shave that off your face. It looks like pubes. <laughs> please <laughs> shave that off your face. It's gross. It's so funny because in the scene, I was like, "Oh my god, that's so gross!" And then as soon as he shaves it off, I was like, "Oh, he's hot again." <laughs> <laughs> so everybody drink because I find Sock attractive. He is attractive, definitely. Um, yeah, and so and Katara's getting ready too, and it's she's all tucking cute. her hair and loopies back. Mm-hmm. Toph has my favorite then, um, thing in all. Like her, just her, her waking up and hawking the loogie is like made me laugh so <laughs> right hard. Right into the tune, just between. <laughs> like, like like a bullet. Is Toph your favorite? Yeah. Oh yeah. She is. Yeah. <laughs> I um, I love her. That's great. But I so yeah, she wakes up and she's all like crazy and disheveled, and her hair is huge. And <laughs> Katara's like, well, "Aren't you gonna get you know get ready?" And Toph's like, oh, "I am ready. I'm good to go." 
And Katara's like, you have a little bit of dirt, like, everywhere. <laughs> and Toph says, well, to you it's dirt, but to me it's a healthy, healthy layer of earth. Healthy coating of earth. <laughs> it's so great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Katara gets really excited about the two of them having a girl's spa day, which Toph is initially not very psyched about, but reluctantly agrees to. And as long as no one touches her feet. <laughs> and, um, she like assaults one of the masseuses, <laughs> like mm-hmm. knocks that girl or through a door. Out of the house, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking about it, and it's like her feet are her eyes. That's like if somebody was like poking at your eye and like being ugh, ugh. So I think that her assault was warranted. <laughs> but they go through, and they have this day at the spa, and Toph becomes more and more comfortable throughout the day and we see her experiencing the spa like in her own way so like she makes the little bug face out of the mud mask you know and scares the attendant with it and everything and they're in the sauna and she's bringing the rocks over and Katara's pouring the water on to create the steam and they're just having like a really lovely little day and it's really sweet to see the two of them bond because we don't really get a ton of scenes between just the two of them and then they're leaving, and they both feel really, really great. And Toph is talking about how fun it was to kind of feel feminine. Um, they're all tarted up, by the way. Yeah, they got makeup. They're wearing, <laughs> they're <laughs> wearing makeup. They're wearing makeup. And the makeup is bad. <laughs> it's, it's real bad. Horrible. Because they look it's so pretty in the previous episode, right? When they're all dressed up. That was my thing, and I was like, you could still. You could still have the mean girls make fun of them, you know, for for tons of reasons that would even relate to femininity or whatever. You know, they were they had the makeup, but their clothes weren't right or whatever. Like there were there are ways that you can create that conflict, but it didn't make any sense since their makeup was so great in the previous one, which I'm assuming Katara did it. And so she can obviously do makeup. So maybe this was just part of the spa service and the spa attendants are just really bad. Maybe. At I, I'm assuming I it's know. the spa. I'm assuming the spa attendants put it on and they just like spackled it on because Because it looks I mean, in in the animation it looks weird. Like their lips are so bright that they look like they just stick out more and so when they're talking Well they have eighties blue eyeshadow that's like a yes. half moon like drawn above each of their eyes and it's like a distinct uh-huh. half moon, you know. Yeah. Which is like like this is exactly the missing the point of the episode because <laughs> <laughs> We are doing now what the mean girls do to them in a minute, which is making fun of their horrible makeup. But it really is horrible, and I don't understand why. But anyway, they Toph and Katara quickly dispatch the mean girls with their bending skills, which is immensely satisfying. And Katara is really great because she she just knows what to do in that situation. You know, Toph is kind of like, I don't care about how I look. That's not what's important to me and that's not who I am and I'm more than that and that doesn't define me and Katara's like that's what I think is so great about you you're so confident and you're so strong and you know all of these things and that's what I admire most about you and then she says and also you are pretty you know and it's just they have just a lovely just a lovely moment 
I really enjoyed it. Well, I love it, too, because even though femininity and being pretty is not important to Toph, it still hurt to... You know, mm-hmm. the, you know, she's this big, you know, she's a blustering kind of hard talking kind of person, but it still hurt her to have those insults lobbed at her. And I think Katara does handle it so masterfully because she knows being pretty isn't important to Toph. And yet mm-hmm. having that validation is still important to Toph as well. So she's like, mm-hmm. I, and she's like, I know it's not important, but I, but you're pretty like, mm-hmm. and it was great. And I loved it. And I love, too, Katara's, I mean, Toph's reactions, because it's so in character. She's like, I'd return the favor, but I don't know what you look like. (laughs) 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 I do really like when they flush those mean girls, like, down the river or whatever. Yeah. That was really great. So that was, yeah, our first little vignette, and it was sweet and humorous and just lovely and sets a nice tone for everything else. And then we get Iroh next, right? Yeah, Iroh's next. So we see Iroh and he, we see him going through the day and he meets three people along the way and helps each of them in different ways. So first he's going to get a picnic basket and the vendor asks him, you know, is it romantic? He says, no, it's not romantic. And the vendor has this moonflower that is wilting and dying, and Iroh pushes it into the shade and tells him, you know, oh, the moonflowers like to be cool, whatever the flower revives. That's the first time that he helps someone. The second time he helps someone, there's the little boy crying with, like, the one booger in his nose. <laughs> and Iroh, Iroh, it's not a guitar. What is that instrument? Well, it's a Chinese lute. Um, okay. It actually has a name, but I don't know what it is. I can't remember, but I, I, it's, it's not a sitar, it's a... No, I think I it's can't. a Lui Quinn. It, it's mm. a, it's, it, it has its own it's something, name. something, yeah. But it, yeah, it's essentially the Chinese lute. Yeah. So he grabs the lute, um, for lack of a better word, and sings the song about the soldier boy coming home, and it's very jovial, and the little boy stops crying. JJ's making a sad face. This is the point at which I have a Pavlovian response, because even though this is like a happy scene, I'm like, something bad. Oh, crap, I remember. (laughs) And then uh, the third time we see him, this is hilarious. He is in the alleyway. Oh, no, 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 he... Uh, first stops and he's watching some young kids play a game earthbending with the ball, which is really cool. Yeah, they, like, it's like earthbending soccer. Ricochet the ball around. And it's super cool. Earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. They break a window and Iroh goes to them and says, you know, when when something, when you've made a mistake, the best thing to do is to admit fault and restore honor. You know, and then the guy whose window's broken is, like, this huge hulking <laughs> mass who comes out and is like, the window isn't the only thing that's going to be broken. And Iroh says, but not this time. <laughs> so run. So he tells them all to run. And when he runs away, he's hiding in an alley, and he is um, confronted by a mugger. A would-be like, mugger. Wanna-be mugger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Iroh's like what are you doing? And he's like, I'm, I'm mugging you. Give me your money. And I was like, with that stance. (laughs) (laughs) And so Iroh knocks him over and then shows him the proper stance to use when you're going to mug somebody to make you more stable. And then he says, but you know, I don't think 
that you're really this type of person. Why don't we talk a little bit? So they sit down, Iroh makes him some tea, they talk, and they really connect, and it's really lovely, and that's Again, the third person that he helps. I want Iroh to be my therapist. He, uh, I know. He encourages the mugger to become a masseur. Mm-hmm. He was like, do you really think I have it? And he's like, oh yeah, you know, like you, you know, you should go out and give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. like another instance of someone who needed validation and clearly mm-hmm. wasn't getting it anywhere else, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he climbs to the top of this hill in front of a tree and lays out his picnic. And we see that it is in remembrance of his son, Luten. And it was his birthday today. Yeah. And Iroh... I wish I could have helped you, my son. Helped you. The way I help other people. The way he helps so many other people. And it is is heartbreaking. And I did cry. Although probably not as much as I would have if I wasn't waiting for, like, the really heartbreaking (laughs) thing to happen. (laughs) Immediately after that... it's very sad. They they do a quick freeze frame and then they say, you know... In memory in, of Mako. I think they say mm-hmm. in honor of. I, I know honor it. of. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Um, um, oh, it's worth mentioning... I didn't... Um, sorry, real quick. It's worth mentioning that um, in Legend of Korra, one of the male leads is named Mako. Yeah, because they named they, him after him. Yeah, yeah, they named him after the actor because... Aww. Yeah, it's really nice. Oh, that's sad. Good. Yeah, so, and and he sings, you know, he says, I wish I could have helped you, and he sings the song that he'd sung earlier that had the Pavlovian response for Mike. Leaves and this from the time vine. it's not, yeah. Yeah, it's not nearly so jovial to sing about the soldier boy coming home because of, Lu- of course, Luten is a soldier boy who is not coming home. And it's very sad. And you you see how this, the loss of his son has just so totally impacted Iroh's life and changed him so entirely and it's so sad and the dedication at the end I part of the reason why I didn't have this initial reaction was because until I was texting Mike trying to figure out okay what is going on I didn't the name didn't ring a bell I didn't know who it was and I didn't look it up well, we I haven't. Like, oh. I don't think I've mentioned his name since probably the first episode we the did. First. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah, and so to me, I was like, "Oh, it's somebody you know that worked on the show, or that was close to the creators, or you know something." You see that oftentimes in shows. Unfortunately, when someone dies that has been involved in the process, they'll dedicate an episode to them. Um, so I'm used to seeing that kind of thing, but. If it's someone that I don't know, then I I don't often go and look it up, and I did not in this case, and so I missed that level of that that added layer um, of this kind of being the the end of the voice actor who originated the role of Iroh, and I love Iroh's voice, <laughs> so it's gonna be. And he's not in the next episode, so I haven't heard the new voice yet. I think um, he did finish pretty much all of the work on season two. I know his voice maybe a line, Yeah, maybe a line here or there was not Mako and his replacement voice actor. 
did like a line here or there for whatever they needed, maybe. But I think he might have finished recording for season two mm-hmm. um, because he passed away in 2006. So um, I think it was from throat cancer or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think you're right. Um, yeah. Oh, this episode, though. Because basically all my notes are just basically, oh, nothing, just all the tears. Oh, my God, so much sobbing. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like... And I feel bad because I feel like I robbed myself of, like, the true weight of the emotion of this episode. I really tried because I was... to, like, let it happen for you. I was... Because you, you kept asking me, you were like, what What episode is the sad thing? You're like, where is the sad thing? And I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you I was like, is not. it the end of Iroh's episode? I was like, because that's sad, but that's not, like, the saddest thing ever. But it, it, I didn't... I was so hyper aware that something sad was coming that I, like, couldn't allow myself to properly <laughs> experience the emotions of it. On rewatches, it, I mean, it definitely is incredibly sad. It's one of the most um, touching things that we've seen so far, especially, um, you know, as a parent and watching that. And, it, you know, it's gut-wrenching. And Iroh is so incredible to not have been embittered by that loss, but to to go forward and continue to help people. Well, um, I, I just start crying earlier in this episode because as soon as he sings it to the other kid. I know. When, cause, well, but I don't know what's coming. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Is like I actually remember watching this episode for the first time. You know, we had this cute, fluffy story with Toph and Katara, and I was like, oh, it's probably just going to be another fun vignette. And it starts out that way for Iroh's story, right? It's, you know, yeah. he's jolly, and he goes through, and he helps people, and then the ending of this episode... The feels literally hit me in a way that it hurt. Like, <laughs> I watched this episode for the first time, and the, literally my tears came on so fast, it hurt. Um, uh. Oh, but I was like, what? I was like, I was not expecting this. Especially, like, I this was the first time I've cried watching Avatar. Uh-huh. I had not cried previously until this until this point. As much as I love, you know, Zuko and Sokka and everybody, like I felt for them and I was touched by their stories, but I didn't. It didn't move me. And then I got to this episode. I was like, oh god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Real yeah. world repercussions. Oh my god! This is this is so sad. And it was so funny because I was talking about this episode with my friend. Is that a plane? Yeah, okay. sorry. I was like, what is that, the apocalypse? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was talking about it with my friend, and I was like, oh, I was talking about this podcast, and I was like, oh, if we watch Tales of Boston Say, she's like, don't! She's like, I can't even talk about this episode without crying. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And it really <laughs> is, like, Iroh's is the only one that's actually sad, because all the other ones are kind mm-hmm. of, you know, cheerful and jolly, but... I think when people think of Tales of Bossing Say, the episode they, the vignette they think of is Iroh. Right. That's kind of mm-hmm. the only one. Yeah, really. it has the most emotional impact for sure. Um, and, and it was beautifully crafted. It's a really wonderful story. We, we see him go through and help the three people, you know, and then it's, it's wonderful the first time we watch it as we watch him help these people. It's meaningful to us on that first go round, but it is so enhanced by the reveal at the end. So the next vignette is... 
Aang. Is it Aang? Okay. Mm-hmm. I think this, this is, is the weakest of them all. I, I think, yeah, this and Momo's are tied for me as the weakest. This is also... I, I don't watch Avatar The Last Airbender for Aang. <laughs> I mean, I like, don't disagree with you. I think he's the vehicle and, you know, he's the chosen mm-hmm. one, right? So it's a story that he has to follow, but of the most compelling characters, he's not one of them. Or at least I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. I like him, but I'm just... Meh. So he, he, he helps them build a new zoo. <laughs> It's, it's, I liked I'm it because sure we got to see New Earth bending. I know you love happy. the bending stuff. I, also, Cabbage Guy makes your return oh, in this. Cabbage is, Guy is uh, good point. Um, I read that this is the last appearance of Cabbage Guy in the whole show. Yeah, I guess after the Rabaru started eating his stuff, and he's like sitting in the background, openly weeping, like just head in his hands, crying. I guess that was enough. <laughs> That was enough for him. He just gave yeah. up his cabbage business. <laughs> I feel like they should have had him come back selling something else then. <laughs> like, I'm, you can't abandon that kind of a joke halfway through <laughs> a series. They do reference Cabbage Guy again, but we don't see him again. Um, and there is a joke in referencing Cabbage Guy in Korra. It's so true. it's not like they drop him entirely, but as far as like an actual on-screen presence, this is the last time we do see him. And I also yeah. like that he's like, my cabbage... Oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> every time he's been like, my cabbages! But this time he's just like, oh, whatever. They're just going to get destroyed anyway. Um, but yeah, basically, Aang builds a new zoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike, was there any like particular bending moves that you really liked, or because I have nothing to say? <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm like, it's fine. <laughs> um, I mean, I just, I, I like. Well, first off, I like that his entire story, except for the last like three minutes, is one giant fuck up. Like, he walks into a crappy zoo. He sees, you know, the tiger Dillo. That, like, snaps at him and then shrinks into a ball and, you know, all these animals are sad and I'll just let them all out because I'm great with animals. And, of course, they run wild and start attacking everybody. And he has this, (laughs) he blows his uh, oppa whistle, but he does it in such a way that, like, he airbends the crap out of it. Like, there's, like, a shock wave that goes across the entire city and, like, every animal, including people's, like, House cats, I think, show up. Was yes. that the thing at yeah, the end? Yeah, like, like the Pied Piper. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, as far as, like, the bending, I just like the idea of, like, he's simultaneously sitting on his air ball, like, scooting along and making, like, a wall behind him. Yeah, like, this he's is the first time we see him two, use two different bending disciplines at once. Oh, is this the first time? Because he's either done one or the other, but he's using his air scooter at the same time he is airbending, uh, mm-hmm. earthbending. So the yeah. other nice thing about this story is that it—I mean, maybe I'm the only one who likes this—but I don't dislike sh- it. It gave us a shitload of uh, new animals to, you know, like new hybrid animals, which I really like. Yeah, the there were Rabaru, uh, 
there's like a bull antelope thing, the tiger armadillo. Like the those, snake birds? Yeah, those were like, yeah, I don't know what to call those. I just called them like wyverns, but I think that has a specific amount of arms or something. Two, they that, have two legs. Um, yeah. Um, and there was like a baboon that had like cloven hooves. It had like the head of a bat, you know that, with the blue face and the, whatever. Yeah, but like the feet of a deer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So that was this. <laughs> my <laughs> my actual notes for the tale of Aang is oh the beginning where he's looking at his bison with soul and it's clear he's still missing Appa. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, he's still missing Appa. Cabbage guy, and then cute but insignificant <laughs> is uh-huh. actually my note about this. It is. It's not. I don't hate it, but it's still so, especially when it comes right after the tale of Iroh. I suppose we also kind of need a palate cleanser after that sort of emotional ugh, that you had to go through. But I was like, it's fine. Uh-huh. As an episode, you know, kind of, it didn't do anything. It didn't further Aang's plot. It didn't further anything about his characterization. It was just a cute story about Aang and some animals. And, you know, that's fine. But it was also, I think, compared to the complexity of most of the other ones or the humor or something else, it just kind of didn't hold up for me in the same way. I don't know why I think this is true, but something in my memory is telling me that around this time when they were airing these episodes, the first run, um, Nickelodeon does a lot of... um, like shorts in between episodes or in between, you know, shows entirely, um, which are just, I think they're, you know, art school students who stepped up and put together a short. There's at least two or three that are avatar themed that are like, kind of like this episode where it's, it's those characters being themselves, but there's nothing consequential happening. I think in one yeah. of them, they're all that they're called chibi the super, style. Yeah. The chibi style, the super deformed, they're extras on my DVD. Yeah, um, yeah. They're just like little cute little interactions between all these characters. That's not necessarily canonical. Yeah, I don't think it's canon. Uh, this is canon. This episode's yeah. canon, uh-huh. but it's just you are right. But Kelly, even if it wasn't, it wouldn't matter. I mean, nothing would change about the show. Yeah, you could, you could. Yeah. Well, I would argue that Iros does have significance. Sure. I mean, I, I just meant Ang's story. Like Ang's story, actually. Iros is a thing where you could have put, you could have slotted that into another episode. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely it could have been part, but I, I think pretty much all of the other stories you could get rid of. Like you don't need yeah. any of them. Iros, I think, has significance beyond this episode, but everyone else uh-huh. is just kind of a cute, right, little yeah. thing, little thing into their lives. So that was so. Aang. Yeah, and then after Aang is Sokka, <laughs> Sokka stumbles upon an all-girl haiku poetry slam, yep. and it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing, and I love Sokka, and that's that's it's just amazing. I have no words. He he inadvertently stumbles into the situation and he kind of has like a poetry battle and 
is doing quite well until, of course, he oversteps his syllables at the end, and and immediately all because all the girls are like all swooning over him because he is. You know, anytime he finishes the haiku, they're all (laughs) applauding, and then the very last one, of course, he says six syllables, but immediately silence. Also, <laughs> <Girls are> just <laughs> immediate disapproval, and then he gets kicked out, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, there's it's also so a part good. where the teacher, whose name is Madam Macmu Ling, who is somehow named after Lauren McMillan, who I guess wrote that episode. She no, she's um, the director. Oh, the director. I think she's usually a director. I think that she wrote that one story in particular. Yeah, I think like Sokka's in particular. Um, yeah, but the, before Sokka screws up by adding an extra syllable and getting thrown out by the poetry police, I don't know who that guy was who just showed up. But um, <laughs> there's like a there's like a full on like testicle crunching moment where she like pulls a drops fruit out the of her sleeve and drops and then just like yeah, smushes it. it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And and I love it too because the poetry mistress, because that's who he's having the battle with. It, all of her haikus are metaphorical and kind uh-huh. of elevated and lovely, and Sokka's is just like straight up, just straight talking. And I love mm-hmm. that one of his haikus is, I am not an oaf. And he counts yeah. off <laughs> the syllables on his fingers. Yeah, Sokka is the, the first act of Eight Mile, not the second act. He's still, what is you it? know. Yeah. He's like, my name is Sokka, it's pronounced with an Aka, or right. whatever. I can't yeah. remember the exact thing but oh so funny he is just so delightful i love Sokka, and i love that everyone else loves him too yeah the universe (laughs) find the the women in this universe find him attractive and i was like i feel Mm -hmm. justified (laughs) drink up kids (laughs) yeah so that is great and then we get momo no we get zuko Oh, so, oh, oh, how could I forget my baby Zuko? Um, this is actually my second favorite Jesus. one after, after like, Iroh. Oh, God, and roll your eyes at me, Mike. My Whoops. baby Zuko. I love him. <laughs> the wubification like, continues. <laughs> I know. He's not even baby Zuko in this vignette. He's just regular Zuko, but hilarious. This is um, actually my favorite vignette after Iroh's as well. I think this is the best one. so good. Story-wise. It's so good. He, he goes on a date, and, and it's horrible, but also great. It's so but good. Not before thinking the girl who's flirting with him is like a spy for the Fire yeah. Nation or whatever. Yeah. Well, Zuko is not Sokka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't have a way with the ladies <laughs> at all. And Iroh basically has to like set him up on this date, essentially. But with what is her name? Jin. Yeah. Jin. Yeah. Um, and so. <laughs> So they go on the date, and he she arrives to meet him, and he comes out, and his hair is all like parted and shiny, and he looks horrific, and he's like, "It took my uncle ten minutes." Because <laughs> I think she ruffles his hair, and then it get it looks like the way it has been looking for the most of the season. He's like, "It took my uncle ten minutes to do this hair," and my first comment was, "Iroh does Zuko's hair." <laughs> Of course he does. Of course he does. Um, this one is so they, just so. The thing about this is the most 
It is the most painfully realistic teenage. Oh my god, I have been on this date. I have been on this date in high school. So they go to dinner and she's like, you know, where are you from? And he's like, oh, we moved around a lot. She's like, were you part of the circus? And he's like, yes. And she's like, what did you do? Did you, did you juggle? And he's like, yes, I juggled. <laughs> and then she hands him three of the most, like, differently shaped objects and demands that he juggle. He juggles, like, I know. At dinner. And then he tries. He's just kind of like. <laughs> right. And then, of course, it goes horribly. And he's like, um, I haven't practiced for a while. His delivery on the line, yes, I juggled, is perhaps my favorite thing on the planet. It's so good. And the date just continues to just be so painfully awkward no matter what they do. It's just awful. And she he eventually. snaps at that waiter who thinks mm-hmm. she's the girlfriend and. <laughs> She's wolfing down ramen and or whatever And he's like, you eat a lot for a girl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so, it's so excruciating. And then he takes, she takes him to this place that she loves, which usually has all these lanterns lit. And it's supposed to, supposedly really romantic, but they get there and the lanterns are all out. And she's really disappointed. And he tells her to close her eyes and she does, and he lights all the lanterns with firebending, which is super risky. And like two episodes ago, he was flipping out on Iroh for firebending his tea. Or even but, earlier in the episode, he's like, I think this girl thinks we're firebenders. Right. <laughs> which by that point, she probably should have suspected. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so cute, and it's so... You know, and she's so happy when she opens her eyes and she goes in to kiss him and he, like, shoves the coupons <laughs> in her face. Because right, he's like, he's like, I can't remember what he says, but it's like, I have something for you. And it's, <laughs> my uncle gave me these coupons to give to you for the tea shop. Oh, it's so, and I was just like, you know, that, like, internal cringe. Just, I mean... I have to hand it to Jin because she takes all of this in stride, like really well. Yeah, she well. stays upbeat the whole time. Um, and so she finally, like, you know, it's, and it's sort of a cute thing where she echoes, "Close your eyes, and I have something to give you." And she gives him a kiss. And it's very sweet. It's very cute. And then, of course, Zuko, being Zuko, like freaks out and pulls away. And she's kind of like, "Oh, did I do something wrong?" And of course, Zuko's like, "No, it's complicated." <laughs> Got all these feelings I can't talk about. <laughs> Um, and then we have this wonderful, wonderful ending to this episode where Iroh has clearly been waiting up for Zuko to come home from his date. And he's kind of like, not so subtly like, oh, how was your date, Prince Zuko? And Zuko just like slams his door behind him and then cracks it open and goes, it was fine. (laughs) So cute. So cute. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, yeah, this after Ira's episode, I think, is the best in, in all of the vignettes. It's just, as a complete story, as a character sketch for Zuko, as something that's just cute and funny, I thought this was just hilarious. Uh-huh. He's so awkward. So it just, this whole episode was half awe and half oh. <laughs> I just really like that Jin is very clearly trying to get some. 
And Zuko keeps cock-blocking everybody. <laughs> like, his words, his actions, the thing with the carb was physically between them to stop, you know. And then he immediately freaked mm-hmm. out about the kiss. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, like I said, Jin takes it all in stride. I mean, she was like, all right, it's fine, you know, it's, it's cool. And um, funny enough, I, she's, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but I think she's like one of the few characters, female characters on this show whose design is curvy. Because uh-huh. most of the others are not really, and I was like, big boobs represent Jin on the show. Uh-huh. She had some cleavage going on. Yeah, like the whole dinner scene, you can see like the liner of cleavage starts like up here, like by her collar. She was on a date. Um, she was looking to get some straight up. <laughs> oh, it's quite funny. Yeah, I love this. I love this one. I thought this was great. Uh-huh. And then I after agree. this is Momo, which I feel like the entirety of Momo's thing just sets up the next episode. Or not even the entirety, just the last part of it. Yeah, yeah like the so last Momo, image of it, yeah. Yeah, he goes on a little adventure in the city, and he gets captured, and there's these other three panther, cat, jaguar things that get cancer, can't cancered, <laughs> get captured, and he frees them, and they... He has the piece of Appa's fur, and the cats track it, and there's a big Appa footprint, and Momo is sad. I don't know. I just oh, <laughs> I also I read that this is the last episode that we hear Momo's theme. Oh. Yeah, yeah I don't know. One of the little misadventures that Momo's in is, like, when he gets caught by the monkey guy, uh-huh. and he gets, like, the hat put on, they, he makes Momo dance. He does the that's dancing. He <laughs> his little, little horn theme, and that's the last time we hear of it. Yep. I think I like this slightly, but not much, like, at all. It's not really... It's really negligible. I think I like this slightly better than Aang's, only because well, of the ending. Well, it has a point. <laughs> well, it has a point, and it, it... You just have a little bit more emotion about this one, as opposed to Aang's, which is just, like, a happy zoo. This one is about Momo, who's missing Alpa. And that, I thought that was really kind of sweet and sad, you know, he finds this, you know, there's a shadow of the cloud on the ground that he thinks is Appa, that, you know, he finds a little bit of Appa's fur left in Sokka's bag, and he, like, wraps it around his wrist, you know, he's missing his friend. And that, you know, it's kind of sad, and then it ends. <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. okay. Yeah, the next plot point is, like, opposable thumbs to unlock the cage. <laughs> That's, like, the next thing that happens. Yeah, he was going to be eaten by these cats, and then he shows them a good deed, so they repay his good deed with showing, leading him to Appa's footprint, and, of course, Momo being dumb as rocks doesn't actually understand that he's, he's like, <laughs> curled up in, in Appa's footprint. So, there you have it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think that this episode had some amazing highlights, and you know, essentially, it is Iro, Zuko, and Sokka's vignettes for me are the best, and then I like Katara and Toff's, um, and then A and Momo, whatever. I it, it did feel like I don't know, like it just. I wish in some way, although the vignettes do give us glimpses into character and everything, I I wish there'd been something more to tie them to the larger 
story, even tangentially, you know, just something to... Or, like, give it a frame narrative somehow to kind of... Yeah, yeah, just something else. Because I really liked it, but I, I imagine after I've watched the entire show, when I go back and I watch this episode, I suspect that I'll enjoy it on rewatches more than I do now, because now I'm just kind of like, why are we wasting time on this? <laughs> Where it's cute and it's sweet, but it doesn't do anything. <laughs> oh, right. Momo watches the sun come up with those cat monsters. They're yeah, like they all sitting snuggle. On a, yeah, they're on a roof somewhere and then watching the sun come up because that's how that works. Mm-hmm. As you can kind of tell from my slightly de- contemptuous tone, I don't think very highly of Momo. <laughs> it's like he's dumb. He's hasn't been very useful, you know, it's kind of, he's cute, and that's all Momo really is. <laughs> oh, he even has one yeah. of those moments of where he hears people talking and it's just honks. And it sounds exactly like it did in, like, Momo Vision the first time, where it's like, right. mm-hmm. I mean, Whereas was... in, the, in the next episode, Appa hears people talking and he can actually <laughs> hear he them And he understands talking. them, yeah. yeah. Um, well, like... It, there was a part of Momo's episode that I remember watching that I was like, ugh. Because essentially they captured the cat monsters and sold them to a butcher. And I was like, yeah. ugh. God. That's dark. I mean, like I said, the show is dark, but unexpectedly so. And what I would assume is kind of a cute, fluffy vignette episode. So I was like, ugh. But yeah, I... As, a, as an ending vignette, I kind of wish they'd ended on something stronger, even though I know that the last image is what's going to bring us into the next mm-hmm. episode. So, Right. You know, you have what you have. So let's move on then. All right. Uh, voice actors? Yes. Um, there's a handful of them. Greg Baldwin is the name of the guy who replaces Iroh and had, like, one quick scene. Um, the crying boy was played. I'm pretty sure I couldn't confirm this, but I'm almost positive it's Tara Strong who played May's baby brother who got kidnapped, and she was also. I mean, I talked about her before, but uh, she mm-hmm. was also Twilight the originator. Sparkle. <laughs> That's how I remember. Yeah. And Timmy um, from Fairly Odd Parents. Yep, and yeah, and Harley Quinn. Um, and then let's see. Jin is played by an actress named Marcella Lentz Pope, and her two biggest credits were Mae Capone on Boardwalk Empire and Erica's roommate in The Social Network. Excuse me. Um, Quentin Flynn plays the mugger that Iroh, you know, took under his wing and gave tea to. He's Uh been in... Basically every Naruto thing ever as Iruka Yumino. I don't watch Naruto, so I don't know if I pronounced that right. But he's also Axel in almost every Kingdom Hearts game. He's... What the hell's his name? Silver the Hedgehog in the Sonic the Hedgehog games. He was Koliak Krios in Mass Effect. And he was the voice of Timon in the Timon and Pumbaa TV show. That happened in the 90s. And, uh, two more. Andy Morris plays Kenji. Who is Kenji? I don't know. All right. (laughs) Well, whatever. Um, 
He plays Cicero in Skyrim, and he was uh, Clem Foot in Psychonauts. And then last is Madame McMooling, played by Melinda Clark, who I believe got her start on Days of Our Lives. She was in the Spawn movie. She was on a whole bunch of the OC playing Julie Cooper Nickel. She was on Entourage playing a version of herself. Um, and she's on the TV show Nikita for 70 episodes as Amanda. And that is everybody. Huh. Cool. Yeah. So the next episode is Appa's Lost Days. And my recap for this one is Poor Appa. Yeah. Poor Appa. This basically was actually kind of hard to watch. It is hard to watch, and it I think it got an award from a Genesis the Humane Award Society? from the Humane Society, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, about, you know, its depiction of animal cruelty. Mm-hmm. It is really hard to watch. Appa goes through a lot of stuff and is um, mistreated at every turn, essentially, until the end. It is difficult to watch. It's, it's really, um, I don't want to say well done, because obviously animal mistreatment is not well done, but it, it does evoke that feeling in you it it gets a really um this real reaction for me yeah it's like yeah um of course i love animals but i just i remember this being sad but it was it's a difference between i feel like this episode isn't sad is it really is just hard to watch Uh Ugh. Um, you know, in the cert, he's, you know, first, so first he's captured by the sandbenders as we saw it in the library. We saw Toph have to make that decision between uh-huh. saving her friends in the library or saving Appa. She chooses her friends. Um, so we kind of see Appa and Aang kind of miss each other a little bit over the course of the desert. Um, oh, the scene actually where he escapes the sandbenders and flies to the spot where the library sank. Yeah. He's yeah. pawing at the ground, like, to try and dig. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, uh. um, So he's kind of lost, doesn't know what to do, and then he kind of wanders the desert for a while and is hungry and thirsty, and he gets chased by buzzard wasps and this, and I think he gets captured, he, like, passes out, I think, from exhaustion, and ends up at the circus. And this, like, I think it's actually the same circus Ty Lee was part of, that Azula came on plucked Ty Lee from. I, think I was gonna ask like about it. that. I think yeah. it's the same circus. But, you know, it's a Fire Nation circus, and they mistreat him, of course. You know, they want to dress him up and make him be the big act. Although they're, like, kind of moments where I thought was adorable, where he's, like, airbending the food towards him. The cabbages towards him, yeah. So he can eat because he's hungry. Of course, that doesn't go well for him because he gets punished. Um, And then there's that scene, too, where there's a little Fire Nation boy that, I guess, reminds Mm -hmm. him of Aang. And I think it's actually voiced by Zachary Taylor Eisen, who does the voice of Aang. I, I didn't the, actually look that up, but I think I, you're right. It I think the voice like sounds very familiar. Um, you know, and so he escapes the circus. Just He just kind of wanders back and forth and, you know, trying to find Aang. He gets, 
in a barn and he gets chased out of the barn and now he's afraid of fire of course because that's what the circus used to torture him mm-hmm. um, and then he runs into Suki and, and the Kyoshi warriors um, and they and he's and he's like horribly beaten up he's got like porcupine quills all over him and he's injured and he's hungry and he's tired and he's just like oh god that uh-huh. fight between Appa and the Porcupine was a lot more brutal than I remember. Yeah, it was also. rough. Yeah, it was really rough. <laughs> um, but yeah, they find him, they heal him, they bring him back to life, which was really nice. And then, of course, Azula and friends have to ruin it. Um, uh-huh. And then, you know, there's this fight scene between the Kyoshi warriors and Azula and her friends. And Suki basically chases Appa off. Go find Aang. And she takes, like, a stick of fire and she, like waves them off and I was like uh-huh. oh god it's just it's so sad uh-huh. and then he flies to the what eastern eastern, eastern, eastern air temple yeah which is the one that Aang was supposed to train at um originally with the monks like he was being shipped off for avatar training to the eastern air temple because I thought that was the one where Aang was raised because he's got flashbacks when he's there of meeting Don't Aang they for rotate? the first time like, don't they all rotate from place to place? Yeah, and yeah, the I mean, air nomads travel, yeah, travel from temple to temple. But um, it's just like, of course, Appa has these memories of meeting Aang for the uh-huh. first time when he's a little baby bison. And they're super cute. <laughs> it's like, I want one. And they're so cute looking. And of course, like, there's, you know, established this bond for life between Aang and Appa. Uh-huh. He, Goes to the Eastern Air Temple and he thinks, because there's a guy sitting there and he thinks it's Aang and it's Guru Patik. Yeah, this guy was weird. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because, well, it's just weird in terms of a like, it seems like this show is pretty good about bringing people back, so I'm assuming that we're gonna see him again because he says that he's been waiting there for the Avatar and the Bison because he's supposed to help them and only Appa shows up Aang isn't with him so I assume that we're going to see this guy again and he's going to help them in whatever way he was originally planning to help them but it's just a little weird that we haven't seen him before now I guess I don't know it was just a little weird to me. <laughs> I, like, I just like that guy? He, he represents, like, including all of Asia in this story in my head. You know what I mean? Like, like India is part of that. It's attached. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people travel from country mm-hmm. to country. These cultures would mix if they existed in real life, you know? I mean, oh, absolutely. Buddhism came from India into, into East Asia it, kind of exactly like this, right? You know, there's just monks mm-hmm. from India who were traveling east to spread their religion. Um, yeah, I, Guru Patik is kind of interesting. Um, you, They kind of hinted at this whole, like, connected to the world thing with the swamp episode, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, huh. So, of course, you will see Guru Patik later. It's not a spoiler because one of the episodes coming up is actually called The Guru. Um, <laughs> oh, right. So... You will see him, and you'll see exactly kind of what the role he is. And he, because right now we haven't focused on the spiritual side of the Avatar much, right? Uh-huh. We know he's like the bridge between the the spirit world and 
the earth, but most of the time we've kind of really been focused on bending, on Aang learning to bend, so he's trying to learn the physical parts of of okay. being the Avatar, but hasn't really focused on the spiritual side yet. So this whole Guru Patek being connect to the energy world and everything, I think will obviously have ramifications later. Um, but there's a line that he says to Appa where he says, there is fear here where trust should be. And it's uh-huh. like every abused animal has that. And I was like, oh, yeah. God, just so hard to watch. And so sad. Yeah, that was one of the other reasons that I really like uh, Guru Patik because he... I mean, he just kind of lays things out as they are, very plain spoken and easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he would make a good narrator of this story. He could just, you know, tee everything up every episode and then, I don't know, say a thing at the end. But um, I also just, I don't know. I mean, like, I know this is, like, dumb as a viewer, but, like, his presence calms me. And I enjoy <laughs> seeing him. That's not dumb. I feel ya. Yeah, I also like his presence because because it is true. Where would the bossing say story go? Right. You know, so there has to be something else that they have to do to overcome the you know the Earth King um, dialogue right, in the storyline. They're either going to tell the Earth King or they're not, and either way, like at some point, they're going to have to leave the city. Right. Right. So. Uh, you know, he introduces another element, and it's something for Aang to kind of learn about. Like, we get a sense that he'll learn. Obviously, he's he's a guru, so Aang will be learning from him. Um, guru just means teacher. So, um, but... So, I, I, I liked his presence. It didn't really bother me that he kind of turned up now. It's better than him turning up in the last episode. <laughs> no, I agree. I, don't, I, I guess I should clarify. It's not like it bothers me, like I don't like it, or like... Whatever. I guess it's just... This episode with Appa feels like a weird, like, self-contained, separate sort of a thing. And so I'm just like, oh, I feel like if he's important, why is he being introduced now instead of in a different context? But clearly I'll see him in a different context later and it won't matter i think (laughs) the big reason that he's there is to lighten the load i mean that is such a heavy episode and he he shows up at the end and everything seems all right like the worst thing that happens to appa after that point is he has bedhead oh it was so cute kidnapped again (laughs) you know the very end of the episode he goes to bossing say to look for ang because he sensed where ang is through that whole like interconnected Uh thing and then he gets captured by long thing um but we, we, it's true, we do need him from, like, an emotional yeah. standpoint. We need yeah, him. Yeah, I see that. I see that. For me, that was just seeing Suki, so I was okay. <laughs> yeah, but then Suki chased him off, and so, yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, yeah, it was hard. This one really just was hard. I don't know. I guess because an, he's an animal, and he he can't defend himself that way he can't mm-hmm. talk he can't so it's like any the things that get me the most in fiction animal abuse and the abuse mm-hmm. of children and the elderly mm-hmm. just well, it's enrages the, it's me the people who are defenseless and the people who can't you know who who can't fight back and that that's always kind of 
the thing is that it's a it's a horrible abuse of power that you're you know you you are the one who is in a place of power you're the one who can communicate you're the one who is a rational you know adult in the situation and you're abusing a more powerless more helpless entity or person or animal or living thing you know it's just terrific you sad face sad face appa I don't know if I have any notes that aren't like crying emoji. <laughs> yeah, well, I have my, I have my like gushing Suki notes because I just love her and seeing her even under the worst circumstances just makes me so happy and I just want her to come back. <laughs> Why have was, you gone away, Suki? Come back. Was this episode the first time we've seen a female Airbender? No, I think we saw them in we've the flashbacks. S- we've seen them in the flashback, but I don't okay. think we've seen them, like, airbending. I think they've just kind of been, like, you know, background Around. extras. Okay. I think uh, one of the kids in that airball game was, was a, girl. a girl. I think so, too. Okay. Um, I did want to talk a little bit more about the fight between Suki and um, Azula. They're little, no. like, shields that come up. Yeah, those retractable shields that they, like, all, like, jumped together and did, like, a phalanx unit, okay. yeah. you know, thing where they block fire. Um, Azula's terrible pen. What are you, the Avatar's fangirls? Right. <laughs> and then I love Tylee's, Don't you like, know that fans just make the flames hotter or whatever? I just, and I love Tylee's is like, oh, I get it. May Tylee's and Ty Lee both had, well, I actually liked May's line. May was like, you're so colorful, it's making me nauseous. And then Ty Lee had the next line that I was like, that's cringy. Um, you are not prettier than we are. Yeah, I was a little bit like, oh. Really? Maybe. I liked it. I liked it. Um, uh, and then Azula did a really amazing, like, jump, spin in midair, disarm Suki, mm-hmm. knock her sword into the tree, and then the fight ends like it's the end of, Mid-frame. like, Rocky. Yeah, yeah like it Rocky and Apollo, the like, the fists are up, and it freezes. Because I get that we're in Appa's POV, and since Suki's chased him off, he's left, and so we don't know what the end of the fight is, but, ugh. Yeah. I mean, the fight was pretty good. I thought the choreograph... And just, like, seeing them work together as well. Mm-hmm. Fighting together and their fighting yeah, styles. as a unit. As a unit. Um, I just... The, the, as soon as the shields popped up, I was like, hee hee hee. Yeah! <laughs> they were super cool. Um, and really, they must have some, like, industrial strength makeup on, because I know Appa licks one of them. I, and I have that same note. Still there. Still there. Not <laughs> smeared. Uh-huh. Nothing. Still there. I would like to know what's in their makeup. Uh huh. <laughs> and what I do think... they use to remove it? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a better question, really. <laughs> yeah, what actually makes it go away? But yeah, I made that note about their makeup never moving. <laughs> the the cave that uh, they find Appa in the Kyoshi Warriors. I I could be wrong, but it looked a lot like Thailand to me. There's a lot of those temples that are overgrown with, like, 
tree trees. roots and things. You see them in like kung fu movies all the time. Yeah, you see um, them in like Southeast Asia, the kind of jungly. Like you've got temples, and then like the jungle right. of forest is encroaching on it. Um. Yeah. Oh, this is just hard. Oh, we saw Hakoda. We saw oh, right. Sokka and Katara's father on the on the ship. Is that their well, dad? Would that was that? Are we sure it was him and not Bato? It's not Bato. It's Hakoda. Yeah, okay, it is. It's Hakoda. So yes, we see um, Sokka and Katara's father on that ship. Because um, there's, like, this montage of, like, Appa flying around the world, essentially. <laughs> um, so, Iroh sees him. when This is back when they're crossing the bay to get to Basingsei, and Iroh sees him, and he kind of gasps, and Zuko's like, well, what is it? And Iroh kind of doesn't mention he saw Appa. And then Appa also passes over this guy on a ship um, who's of the Water Tribe, and... It's not Bato, it's it's definitely Hakoda. So I was like, oh, you get to see. You don't know who it is, we just spoiled it for you, but, um, but, like, <laughs> I just like that we got to see them. And I was like, oh, yay. Because um, we haven't checked back in with the Water Tribe in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Since the beginning of yeah. the season. So we don't really know what's going on with the rest of the war. Because right now we're in a place that doesn't believe that there's a war going on. But there is. So what is the rest of the world doing while they're trying mm-hmm. to convince the Earth King that there is a war? So, yeah. Oh, and wind buffalo. <laughs> right. Yeah, I wrote that down, too. Not air bison, a wind buffalo. It sounds like he farts a lot. <laughs> and his makeup that he's wearing and like the costume that they force him to wear is like a I guess like a Chinese lion or like you know like the kind of like lion dance you uh-huh. see at like New Year's and like all those people with like this costume and they're all like dancing and moving around um also there were giant beetles yes I wrote those down too those are the third insect thing that we see in the show I um, remember I remember I was like I think there were giant beetles in this episode and then, were they the first Middle Easternish characters we met in the show? The beetle-headed Probably. people? I mean, you could make an argument that the sandbenders might be, but in terms of, like, aesthetic, I think so. I think like, you're right there. The, well, it's also because, like, the sandbenders, to me, looked kind of like... Because, like, there's a huge portion of Mongolia that's a desert, so they kind of look like Mongolians. And then they sell them to these beetle-headed people. I don't know exactly what they were going to do with him. Um, but they've got, like, thicker beards and their features looked kind of more, like, Middle Eastern. So it's kind of like, hmm, is this kind of like our first... Con-? And it, I guess it would make sense in the desert because the library was kind of in the style of the Islamic world, so... Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was kind of my only other note. Mm. Aside I've from got, the crying um, emojis. <laughs> crying. At the, um... Circus, the little kid, his dad wanders off to get some sizzle crisps, which I would like to try. Um, but during the show, when Appa is doing his thing, the kid, like, reaches over to get some <laughs> out of the bed. And the dad yanks it away. Like, he is not sharing sizzle crisps with that kid. 
I just thought that was like a major dick move. Like, dude, share share your sizzle just crisps. Some Fire Nation people are terrible, I guess. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, and the other thing I wrote down is that at the beginning when they're moving Appa and selling him to the beetle-headed merchants, um, they ransack his saddle, and one of them takes like a parasol or whatever. But like, it occurred to me that their saddle gets ransacked like every seven or eight episodes. <laughs> How do they have anything anymore. Avatar logic. Yeah. <laughs> Sokka says in the swamp. <laughs> um, yeah. Were there any voice actors in this one? Uh, yeah, Worth not too noting? many. <clears throat> yeah, not too many. Um, Paul McKinney played Gaishan, the, uh, the sandbender that we already saw in the previous episodes who sold Appa. Um, the trainer is played by Dwight Schultz, who I know him from... I mean, I, I personally know him as Chairman Prescott from Gears of War, but he was Dr. Animo in Ben 10. He was... Um, Oh, Barkley in Star Trek Voyager and the Next Generation. And he is the original Howling Mad Murdoch from The A-Team, the TV show. Gosh. And he had a cameo in the movie as, like, a doctor who was giving electroshock to the current Mad, Howling Mad Murdoch. Um, and last is Guru Patik is played by Brian George, who has a very long... Um, uh, history, whatever, career. Um, he's played Theoden in at least four different Lord of the Rings video games. Um, he was Duff Killigan in Kim Possible. Oh, he that was, show. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dr. V.M. Kuthrapali in Big Bang Theory. I probably said that wrong. He was oh. Bob Babu. In Seinfeld, if you guys are at all Seinfeld watchers, yep. I can just hear like Jerry yep. Seinfeld going "baboo." Um, <laughs> and my personal favorite role of his is he played the dungeon maitre d in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh! <laughs> the welcome, welcome to your Le dungeon. dungeon. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> And he's got, like, he's, like, shirtless, but he's got, like, the funny hat and the, uh-huh. the tails. Ah, funny. And that's everybody. All right. All right. That wraps up this week's installment of the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion. Next time, we'll be covering the episodes Lake Laogai and The Earth King. So be sure to tune in for newbie recaps, know-it-all nerdery, and general squeeing all around. And as always, you can subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or your podcast provider of choice. Or visit us at our website, earthkingdomradio.com. And if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance, as it helps other listeners find the podcast. You can follow me, Kelly, at Bookish Chick on Twitter or Instagram. You can follow me, Mike, at Robo underscore Pants on Twitter. And you can follow me, JJ, at SJJones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S, on Twitter or my website, sjjones.com. Our theme music is Cattails by Kevin McLeod, and our logo was designed and created by our very own JJ. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.